The adventures in this episode followed after my brother Paul and I were given a great present, a chemistry set. After listening to it, Joan tells me that she is surprised that I even survived childhood. The chemistry set started it all. Did mom give it to us or, or was it dad? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not even sure of the year that my older brother Paul and I first set out on our journey of discovery. This much is clear. We began experiments when we were still living on the south side of Chicago in the little frame house on 97th Street. That recollection narrows down the date to the late 1940s or early 50s. It might have been Dad who gave us the set because he counseled us in our first scientific breakthrough. But he wasn't around much until after the war when he was discharged from military service. But it could also have been Mom because she herself had taken a class in chemistry. In fact, one day she brought home a Bunsen burner, a marvelous device that with a whoosh produced a mesmerizing blue flame, a major improvement over the anemic little flame produced by the alcohol burner that came with the chemistry set. Both doors of the set swung open to reveal rows of chemicals, each in its own little jar. Along with them came test tubes, flasks, a glass funnel, and little measuring spoons. The set also included litmus paper, which reveals a solution as an acid or a base. What chemicals? Potassium permanganate flashes into memory because when dissolved in water, it produces a pretty translucent purple solution, the color of grape juice. Powdery yellow sulfur was also memorable. It burned with a curious blue flame and gave off acrid glass our introduction to the stuff of fire and brimstone, also a component of gunpowder. The manual that came with the set provided a booklet of experiments for the junior chemist. In one experiment, we combined two solutions with dramatic effect. Presto, the solution changed color showing that a chemical reaction had taken place. But after that experiment, rather than follow more of the booklet's tiresome directions, we were called to discovery, to the beckoning territory of, I wonder what would happen if we did this. This break from the humdrum quickly bore fruit. It led us to our first scientific discovery about the properties of sulfur. We dropped a measuring spoon of sulfur into water, stirred it, and heated the mixture in a test tube 
until it boiled. Voila! It blew the cork right out of the test tube, sending it several feet away. We ran to tell Dad. Dad, however, remained insufficiently impressed at our breathless report. He remarked that the same thing would have happened even without the sulfur. Could he be right? Crestfallen, we submitted his theory to the test only to discover that he was right. We boiled water all by itself without adding sulfur. Again, it blew the cork right off the test tube. It must have been right around that time that Mom, Paul, and I marched over to St. Margaret's School for its annual book fair. All around the room, new books filled tables. The display dazzled me. Mom bought us a book whose very title promised to reveal secrets to budding chemists such as ourselves. The book was called Fortunes in Formulas, a sort of early whole earth catalog. Paul and I pored over the pages of this immense volume. Page after page showed recipes, but these prepared such boring things as cements and disinfectants, dentifrices and cleaning preparations. But suddenly, with the turn of a page, there it was revealed, the formula for gunpowder. To anyone with a lust for excitement, the implications of this find were immediately apparent. Armed with this knowledge, we imagined that we would finally be able to make our own firecrackers. I was, by that time, frankly jealous of the gang of kids that played in the alley of 97th Street. Around the 4th of July, they all had firecrackers, which they threw or used to blow up all manner of things, such as milk cartons and tin cans. Mom frowned on dangers such as this and forbid such possessions. Now, at last, the way was clear. We would make our own firecrackers. With delicious anticipation, using the formula, Paul and I mixed our first batch of gunpowder. When he put a match to our conco concoction, the small gray pile ignited. It flared and quickly burned with a hiss and produced a satisfying amount of smoke, but it didn't flash or explode. Maybe it has to be wrapped up. So we rolled some of the gray mixture into a newspaper, wrapping it as tightly as possible. At the test, anticipation was high, but like the pile of powder, 
It, too, just fizzled. It failed to explode. We obviously had more to learn. Around this time, our experiments were interrupted. Mom and Dad bought a new house. Our family moved. The plan upset our whole world. They bought a house in Elmhurst, one of Chicago's western suburbs. The move meant saying goodbye to the little house on 97th Street, to the alley where we played, to our school, to all our pals, and to Chicago. Close to the same period, Mom's cousin and her family moved up from downstate Peoria to Villa Park, an adjoining suburb. Her son, Tom, nearly my age, showed an agile, inventive mind and a thirst for adventure. He was my Tom Sawyer. His arrival, a catalyst to our brew, led to further projects and occasional trouble. In one escapade after another, we readily joined forces. For one adventure, the basement of our new house was ground zero. On that day, Tom came over bearing a few chunks of calcium carbide, an amazing chemical once used in miners' lamps. In contact with water, it emits acetylene gas. That's the gas that is used to produce the bang in the Big Bang Cannon, a toy replica of field artillery. That toy, since it neither matches, it uses neither matches or gunpowder, is advertised as a safe and harmless alternative to fireworks. While we didn't have access to one of those cast-iron little cannons, we did have our ingenuity. Would not a skippy peanut butter jar with its screw-on lid serve as a usable chamber for the reaction? The lid could be easily pierced to provide a vent. A hammer and nail from Dad's workbench did the job cleanly. Using a slight amount of water in the bottom of the jar, one of us dropped in the carbide and quickly screwed on the lid. The other held a match to the hole in the lid. It worked. The jar emitted a tall and steady flame. I don't know which savant among us building on the success, intuited the way to figure yet a higher flame. I think the bright idea came from me. It was apparent to me that if we blew in at another hole, it would force the gas out more quickly and make the flame go higher. This is the point at which we could have used some wise counsel. Mr. Wizard, 
who once did a TV science show for kids, would have been perfect for this job. I held Mr. Wizard in high esteem. But I suppose any wiser head would have served. Well, anyone who might have said, uh, let's think about this for a minute. Someone who could guess what might happen when an, inf when an inflammable gas under pressure is touched with flame. Of course it exploded, shattering the jar and strewing glass, water, and stunned experimenters all around, all around the basement floor. By sheer dumb luck, we were dazed but unhurt. Cowed by this result, I don't recall again taking up the quest for explosive mixtures until chemistry class in high school. My taste for flashy experiments had not been extinguished. Using a better formula, I fixed up another batch of gunpowder. So one day after school, my buddy Mike and I climbed the three flights of stairs to the chemistry lab to assemble a bigger and better firecracker. Older and wiser, we carefully decided that the test should be conducted out of doors, so we dutifully descended the three flights of stairs to the back of school. Outside, our homemade firecracker fizzled and smoked. Again and again we tried. Each time we went trudging back up the stairs, produced another beauty, and brought it down the stairs, going outside for the test. Again, disappointment. For our final attempt, tired from climbing all those stairs, we decided to use the fume hood in the chemistry lab for the test. The exhaust fan in the fume hood is intended to handle smoke. Our test probably wouldn't work anyway. I turned on the exhaust fan, set my small beauty down, and lit the fuse. Just when I was sure that it, too, had fizzled out, blam! Our homemade firecracker went off. It filled the room with smoke, and me with a strange mixture of feelings. Mr. Gardner, the school custodian, rushed in. I can still see the wide-eyed look on his ashen face as he entered the lab. Immediately, feelings of guilt and embarrassment flooded into my mind, but also great pride at our success. We did it. Amazingly, we never got in trouble for it. The custodian must not have reported us. That was then. If such a thing were to happen today, we would probably be 
tossed out of school, arrested as terrorists, and questioned by the police.